Joining me now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. How are things wherever you are? Hey, things wherever I am are, but they're always good wherever I am. Where I mean, it's a are you? day. Wondering where I you're at. I am in uh, beautiful Jordan, Minnesota. Okay, doing some speaking or just uh, shopping? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking on the radio. Is uh, I like to come to Jordan to do that. Oh, I'm on my way to uh, other parts and uh, stopped here in Jordan so I could talk to you. And it's, uh, I found a little bit of shade here, so it, it's quite nice. And, uh, and I'm out of everybody's way. That's, I spend a good share of my life just trying to keep out of everybody's way because um, I don't know if other folks find this, but it seems like as I go through life, there's always somebody behind me that is in a, uh, a big hurry and perhaps knows for sure where they're going where uh, I'm very often moseying and and not quite sure where I'm going so I have to check maps and things to find out but uh, everybody behind me seems to know so it's nice to find a place where I can sit in the shade and watch the world go by and uh, talk to you. Isn't there a Dairy Queen near there too? You should have made a stop first. I'm sure there's a Dairy Queen. <laughs> you know, every little town has to have a Dairy Queen. Uh, I shouldn't say little town, because, uh, uh, boy, Heartland never has had a Dairy Queen. So, yeah, we'd like one, I think, but it's uh, probably never going to happen. Oh, before I forget, I want to thank everybody at the Water's Edge Nature Center in Algona, Iowa, uh, for allowing me to speak there on Saturday. I have... Uh, deep roots in Algona, Iowa. My mother was born there. My grandparents lived there. And uh, so it's, uh, I have a lot of relatives down there. And I, I got to see a bunch of them on Saturday. The ones that I owed money to, of course, showed up because they want to be paid back. But it was good seeing all my cousins. I, I had a, at one time, I had a never-ending supply. I was bemoaning the fact the other day that I lost my last aunt not too long ago. And I call them aunts. I know a lot of people call them ants, but I like to call the little insects ants. I do the same thing. I, I call them aunts, too, and so my kids yeah, do, too. Yeah, you know, because it just... Was saying, well, you can't, you can't be from Minnesota because you would call them ants. And I said, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I am from Minnesota, and I call them aunts, so I think I'm okay on that. But, you know, I had, I had three Aunt Helens, and uh, I had just a never-ending supply, I thought, of aunts when I was a boy, and now I am auntless. It's a sad state. It's just not good. I was happy to see young cardinals in my yard, and I could tell them from the parents because uh, young cardinals have gray-black bills, and the adults will have reddish-orange bills or maybe orangish-red bills, whichever way you want to go on that. I'm seeing some molting in the birds. Uh, feathers undergo wear and tear, and they're replaced periodically through molting. And new feathers form through the same follicles as the old ones. And, well, it isn't the Olympics, but uh, molting takes much energy. So uh, birds, uh, it's exhausting. Oh, does it really take? I mean, you just think, isn't it just kind of their feathers falling out? Why would it take energy? I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm a man, so I, <laughs> our, the head, uh, uh, most of us, not everybody, boy, I just talked to a friend who has, I think he has every hair on his head that he, he ever's had in his life. It's just not fair. 
And uh, most of us men, we lose hair and uh, falls from our head and grows other places in our ears and our noses. But it's maybe that's why we're tired and we need naps because we just didn't know it's exhausting going through a bolt. Well, you mentioned Cardinal. Uh, I was out in my shade garden this morning picking a few weeds before work. And as I was there, um, I heard the, the what cheer, 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 birdie, 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 which is a cardinal. And so I was looking around and I saw one up there and I thought, oh, isn't that pretty? So I started talking. I started going, <laughs> you know, the whistle. And I think yeah. I'm a pretty good whistler. And we, you know, it was kind of a back and forth. So and it seemed like the cardinal was very agitated because it was flying uh, uh, right, I was right under the bunch of uh, the pear trees and the cherry trees, so it was in the treetops going back and forth, zipping back and forth and back and forth, and I wasn't sure if it was mad at me because I was talking to it or if, if there was babies or something around, so uh, any thoughts on why it would be so agitated and was talking back to me? I just think you were saying bad things about its mother, <laughs> his mother, and you, you just didn't know it because you don't speak, you can speak the language, but you're not understanding what you're saying sometimes and of course the birds can and uh, so it's that's probably what you were doing and uh, you know if you leave your car parked outside I'm sure they will leave a, uh, a message to, to knock it off well is there a chance a little... there could be a um, nest around there I guess I haven't seen one but um, given that the, the bird was acting so agitated I was wondering if maybe there's babies and how would I find them yeah, and if uh, they're that uh, worked up now, I'm sure they either have a nest or they have young ones. Uh, well, of course, they could have both, or they could have eggs. So I'm sure they have a nest or perhaps fledglings in the area. So they're, and you know how it is being a, a parent. You're just, uh, it's a constant worry no matter what. Well, uh, and uh, for those of us who are empty nesters, we have discovered, you know, that you never stop worrying. You always think, boy, you get them out of the house, and then your worries are over. You get them married off, and then your worries are over. Well, they aren't. You just, uh, you're always a parent, and uh, those birds have the same feelings that we do. Well, I saw another I, one near, uh, Al, I saw another one nearby that was smaller, and I don't know if it was a uh, like a fledgling cardinal. It had kind of grayish-black feathers, and it was sitting nearby, and it was smaller than the cardinal, and I didn't recognize it. So I don't know if I was looking, and I couldn't see its beak, because you just mentioned about the beaks. Could that have been a, what's a fledgling cardinal color? They uh, look more like the females. They're a little different. Uh, their color isn't as bright as, uh, as the adults, but they look more like the female. And so hmm. they're... Uh, they're about the same size, though. And when I think of gray birds in the area, I think of gray cat birds. Yeah, it wasn't one of those, I don't think. Similar. Yeah, I, I, okay. I was confused, so I thought maybe it was a baby, but I, I don't know. It certainly could have been, and sometimes they will look a little bit. And depending on their age, a lot of uh, our fledgling songbirds, when they're first out of the nest, their tails are shorter. Ah, okay. And it makes them look much smaller than uh, than the adults because it uh, it doesn't give them the length. I, I, the mulberry trees, I saw some, uh, we have a lot of mulberry trees. A friend of mine gave me a few mulberry trees many years ago, and mulberry trees are very prolific. So now we have quite a few of them. 
and they seem lonely now because robins had perched in them waiting for the fruits to ripen, but now the mulberries were gone, and so were the robins except for one. I saw one in the mulberry tree this morning. There's no mulberries, but there was a young robin in there with a short tail and sitting in there crying because he wanted to be fed. So I'm sure Mom uh, was out there looking for something to feed him. Uh, Canada thistle appears to be at the peak of its flowering right now. As I'm driving around today, uh, Canada thistle is a European perennial. It's invasive. But thistles provide nesting material and food for the American goldfinch, which is a late nester, with most of its nesting taking place during July and August. And the female will build a tightly woven cup of plant fibers to hold four to six eggs. And she does such a good job constructing this nest that it's built well enough to hold water. I saw a, I was in New Ulm, I saw a common nighthawk, well, it entertained me. Uh, During the breeding season, the male makes a booming sound by flexing its wings while diving, causing air to rush through its primaries and make this booming sound. Uh, Purple martins, I know we have uh, some purple martin landlords who listen. They begin to gather for migration, and peak migration is typically late July through September. Dick thistles, I just posted a photo of a dick thistle. They are, uh, they're numerous. Uh, Dick thistle looks like a miniature metal arc with a black V-shaped throat patch on a bright yellow breast. And the bird is named for its loud, persistent song. It sings its name. And I strolled down a rural gravel road. Man, I love walking down rural gravel roads or dirt roads, but it was a steam bath of a July day. And uh, Achillea millifolium, commonly called common yarrow, was abundant on the roadsides. And the genus name, Achillea, is reference to Achilles, a hero of the Trojan Wars and Greek mythology. And he used common yarrow to stop the bleeding and to heal the wounds of his soldiers. And the specific name, millifolium, or the species name, means thousand-leafed in reference to its foliage. The plant has a feathery, deeply divided, fern-like foliage that is aromatic, kind of spicy. It has tiny, persistent white flowers that appear in dense, flattened clusters. They flower throughout the summer. Common yarrow has a large number of other names, including thousand leaf, soldier's wound wart, and stench grass. I saw a pillated woodpecker today fly across the busy highway, and I was happy to see the carpenter bird flying high at a safe altitude. And insects were eating the day. I stopped at a couple gardens, um, public gardens. Japanese beetles were everywhere. They've been found on 300 to 400 different plants. And uh, we've talked before, I know, Karen, there doesn't seem to be any easy methods to control them. They say to pick them from the plants. Uh, Picking them from plants, it could become a full-time job. Well, it is literally because that's what I did this weekend. I was on uh, Japanese Beetle Patrol. I've got my kids on Japanese Beetle Patrol. I've got a bucket of soapy water that I keep walking by, and it's getting very full. And I was shocked to see that they were on my crabapple tree. 
and they are on the neighbor's arbor vitae trees, and they ate most of my green beans. And, you know, in the past, they've been on my, my hardy hibiscus and my lilies and my canna lilies, and so I thought that's what they like. But you are correct. They are eating everything. They're on my cone flowers, and they are just... Uh, yeah, it, it is a full, it literally is a full-time job, and I am just so frustrated with them. Earwigs are bad, but they don't do as much damage. So um, while they're annoying, the Japanese beetles are definitely worse. Yes, um, I, you know, I, I kind of like earwigs, so I have, a, I have a problem there, and I'm trying <laughs> to get counseling on it. But uh, Japanese beetles are, are really hard to like. They're beautiful, but they just eat everything, and I have a... I have a friend who's a uh, rose gardener of some repute, and they are the bane of her existence. Oh. They just drive her nuts, Japanese beetles. So I'm hoping that it maybe it's hitting a peak this year because I've heard from so many people that I've never seen this insect before, and now it's eating my garden. Uh, they, I hope their numbers will maybe just peak and then drop. Well, I've read somewhere uh, that the the way to control them is is in the early spring before they come up as grubs because that's you know the, that's when you get them now. Really, there's nothing you could do but essentially pick them off the plants. But they they're grubs in the ground, so if you can control them as grubs early in the spring, that may have some impact. So that's what I might do next spring and see if it works. But then again, if I'm the only one that does it, then they're going to be coming from the neighbors anyway. That's a that's a problem. We have so much vegetation, and when they have such a varied diet, they can survive on just about anywhere. It, it's going It's just. It's hard to get rid of. Speaking of bugs, uh, uh, have you heard a lot of cicadas lately too? I sure have. I've heard uh, our regular dog day, and I've been hearing a lot of scissors grinder. Okay, what's the uh, difference? Cicadas too. What's the difference? Uh, scissor grinders sound like they're. Uh, grinding scissors really and uh yep and dog day cicadas or annual cicadas to me sound oh boy it'd have to be somebody my age when i was a boy the telephone wires sang (laughs) they made a whining sound and they don't do that anymore a lot of them are underground but uh yeah they make a a, it's a buzzing kind of a whining buzzing sound or the scissor grinders, if you hear them, it sounds like somebody's sharpening some sort of shears or scissors or knife. And uh, But, yeah, I'm hearing a lot of them now, and I saw some uh, cicada killers out there uh, helping themselves to a few cicadas. So well, there's, uh, I wanted to comment. I got a note from John in New Ulm, which is why I brought it up, because he says, I have a cicada killer wasp again at my place, and one got near my foot at Walgreens. <laughs> I don't know what that significance is. It was at Walgreens, but are they harmful? Because I think a lot of people, when you see those cicada killer wasps, they look kind of scary because they're big, black, and, you know, big. Yeah, and the one that gets in our faces just gets right up there and buzz and says, why I ought to, you know, am scurry, or um, I don't know what, I don't know what I'll do to you, but it won't be good. Those are the males, and they can't even sting. They're oh. just all bluff. They just want to chase us away because we're in their territory. The females can. The females are much larger and scarier looking. But, you know, they don't want to sting us. They want to sting cicadas. They don't want to have anything to do with us. They're pretty meek and mild-mannered. I, again, I understand if people have allergies to sting, why they'd be concerned to have them around. 
my wife and I went to a uh, garden place in beautiful Neritza, Minnesota, and stood right in the midst of countless of these uh, uh, cicada killer wasps. And uh, folks, if you haven't seen them, they're just giant wasps. Like they could make a, a movie out of them, a scary movie. And people were saying, "Oh my gosh, get out of there! You're going to get stung." Well, we didn't. You know, if we if I grabbed one of them and held it, it probably would have stung because it just wouldn't want to be held. But you know, if I pick my cat up and it doesn't want to be held, it scratches <laughs> me. So it's it's kind of the same thing. Uh, so they're pretty. Uh, they they only live a couple weeks. We only have them for maybe a month each year, so they they're not a problem. Uh, Janine Borland, a friend who is the that's oh, if I'm going to get her title right, she is the Minnesota DNR Area Wildlife Manager, I believe is her exact title. And she said we have Freeborn Lake in Freeborn County and drawdown this summer and just managed to create a new rim of fresh mudflat as the rains have eased a bit. The shorebirds are gathering in Franklin's Gulls, one of my favorites. Just thought I'd drop you a line in case you had folks looking for this type of birding opportunity. Yeah, Elberly Lake is a couple thousand acres, and it's a fairly shallow lake, and they're drawing it down to get rid of the carp, and they put a new dam in. So it'll be a great place, or is a great place, to look for shorebirds. Marlene Wasmone uh, just moved to town in Elberly. She was out on a farm, and... She said she has chipping sparrows where she moved to, and she was wondering, she said, boy, they're busy little guys, little blue eggs, and she was wondering about how many broods and how much time is spent with those. Well, they will have one to three broods per year, uh, clutch size probably two to maybe seven eggs. Uh, they'll incubate them for 10 to 15 days and then a nestling period of 9 to 12 days. So they churn them out pretty quickly, get them out of that nest. Uh, somebody sent me a picture of a chipping sparrow feeding a cowbird baby. Uh, Tom Earhart of Albert Lee said, man, he was so excited because he heard a western meadowlark this year. And he said, oh, I saw it. That was just brought back memories. He said, the good part is I saw one. He said, the bad part was it was not in Minnesota. It was in North Dakota. Uh, not that North Dakota's a bad place. He was just hoping he'd see one in Minnesota. Uh, Jeannie Mortensen of Faribault said, how are you doing? Well, Jeannie, I'm doing swell. Thanks for asking. She said, I have a question for you. I have these little caterpillars on my milkweed. They're really devouring it. They're small and have a body full of what I describe as spiked, stiff hair all over it. I will do away with them if they're a bad type. Let me know if you would, please. Also, I've never had Japanese beetles, but we sure do now. They're eating my Virginia creeper. I was told Sunday when we had our gardens on tour for a fundraiser for our church that I'd have to knock them off and drown them in water. Hope all is well. See you at the Otana Fair. Uh, it sounds like tussock moth caterpillars, and that's T-U-S-S-O-C-K. Uh, Jeannie, they're often found on common milkweed, but they will feed on most varieties of milkweed. And they're nicknamed the tiger milkweed moth for its orange, black, and white hair tufts. And they can decimate milkweed, but their numbers are typically cut down by predators. So they never seem, at least in my garden, they never get away from me because something's always eating them. The adult moth has gray wings and a yellow abdomen with black spots, kind of a pretty moth. 
I, I, I'd leave them if you have enough milkweed to sustain them. They're pretty much harmless, and they're part of the, the ecosystem. Uh, if you want to stop them from taking over a monarch reserve milkweed, you can relocate the eggs or the small caterpillars to older milkweed plants that have maybe gone by their usefulness for for monarchs, uh, or you can put them on dogbane if you have dogbane. I know you uh, you did have some growing there anyway, Jeannie. Uh, and I, you know, the Otana or Steel County Fair. I don't think Rice Lake State Park is having a booth at the Steel County Fair this year. Last I heard, so uh, alas, I won't be able to talk with you there, Jeannie. So uh, I'll miss that. I was at the. Um, butterfly wing of Ryman Gardens in Ames, Iowa the other day. It's a glorious place. John Burroughs, a wonderful nature writer, used glorious all the time in his writings. And one, one day his editor said, you need to come up with another word. You're using glorious way too much because that's what I work with a lot of editors and that's they're, they're great at their jobs and they find out if you're using a word too much. If I use oofta too much, I hear about it. <laughs> he said there's no other word to describe the things I'm seeing. It's a glorious place as Ryman Gardens in Ames, Iowa. And when I was in this butterfly wing, a blue morpho simmering blue butterfly landing on me. It's big, and it brought me great joy, and I hoped it brought me good luck. And I wanted to laugh, but I feared I'd swallow a butterfly. And I preferred having a waffle for lunch instead of a butterfly. And I was about to leave the butterfly wing because I was happy, and I good luck, I figured. And I was going to hunt down a waffle when a smaller butterfly landed on my chin little brown one, and its feet tickled a bit, and its proboscis found the moisture on my teeth and biting. So I'm getting a free teeth cleaning from a butterfly. And to this butterfly, I was nothing more than a large and dorky flower. And an employee of Ryman Gardens came over and took photos of my butterfly chin. And I sat down to ease her task because I was much taller than she was. So I'm sitting down there, and it wasn't long before there's this long line of kids and parents coming by. And many had selfies taken with the butterfly and my chin. (laughs) Others took some of those rare photos that, that aren't selfies. I don't know if there's a name for that. It takes all kinds. And one of the kids asked me, he said, are you somebody? I, I was. I was somebody with a butterfly on his chin, and it was just a great day. Uh, and um, again, folks, if you happen to get down to Ames, Iowa, it's right on uh, Iowa State campus. Or the campus is pretty much half of Iowa State, I think, or of Ames. But what a wonderful visit. And if you go in there with your cell phone, you will come out with beautiful photos of all kinds of various butterflies. Some North American butterflies, but butterflies from Asia, South America, all over the world are in there. And they change. Sometimes they have the glass wings in there, so it depends on the hat cycles what butterflies you will see in there. But well, I suppose they usually have 40 species, maybe 40, 50 species flying around. When I was there, the one I was really uh, happy to see is called a birdwing butterfly. 
Uh, it's um, Iowa Hawkeye colors, which uh, didn't work very well probably at uh, Iowa State, <laughs> but uh, it was neat to see it, and what a beautiful place. You know, Grant has started uh, to get um, some monarch caterpillars and, and hatching them out and letting the butterflies go again. So he wants to leave some out in nature, too, and, and so my question is, do they do better off if they just hatch in nature, or are, do they have better luck if you hatch them inside and let them out? I mean, I want to give them the best life possible. So I, I was thinking maybe if they're outside, they have more of a chance of a predator getting them and was wondering which is the, the, the best thing for them if there is a difference. And, boy, you hit it right. You know, for most things, I say, boy, you know, leave them outside. Nature does a much better job. Their parents, if it's a bird, they do a much better job than we can do. However, with monarch butterflies, I feel if um, folks know what they're doing like you do, that they do much better being raised indoors. And for exactly the reason you say, uh, parasitism is rampant in the, the natural world. And a lot of monarch caterpillars fall prey to that, where indoors they would not. So it, um, they just do better if you raise them yourself. Well, so that's good it, to know uh, because I'll tell Grant then, because he was thinking he should leave them out, and I was trying to decide. I said, well, I'll ask Al Bat, and he, he might listen to you. Well, <laughs> I'm glad somebody does, you know, yeah. <laughs> Say, I got you a question. Oh, I yeah. just—I've got a question from our friend John in New Ulm, by the way. It's a—it's there you go. It, That's what I was going to ask. You're going to ask, yeah. So he says, "What do you call two guys hanging by a window?" You know, John, I hate to do this to you, <laughs> but I know that one Uh-oh. because I spent—I spent time in a summer reading program in Eagle Lake, Minnesota. Last week, wonderful kids. It was great being there. And uh, as they leave, there's always a kid that wants to tell me a couple jokes or riddles. And one of the riddles, he said, uh, I think he, there was two men hanging around a window, pretty similar. And he said their names were Kurt and Rod. Oh, you got it. So, John, sorry you didn't. Is that it? You didn't stump the, the bird guy today. Yeah, it's Man, it. That is, I am. <laughs> I I am so proud. This will make my day. You should be. I hope, Karen, that you and everyone else will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few lengths. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I was on the road again. That's pretty much my life. I work on the road, and that's how I eke out a living. So I'm used to it. You know, I'm a truck driver hauling stories is pretty much what I am. And I was singing along with a song on the radio when the artist, the singer, got the words wrong. Boy, I hate it when that happens. And about that time, I was passed by a Lincoln Navigator, big old car about the size of LeSueur County with a cartoon decal of Kelvin, of Kelvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. team, relieving himself on oh, the rear window. Yeah. You've all seen yes. them. They're, just, they're out there, a lot of them. Oh, yeah. And I'm involved in the cartooning business a little bit. So Bill Watterson, the creator of that wonderful comic strip, Kelvin and Hobbes, was vehemently opposed to licensing his creation for merchandise. 
He didn't do it. He's never done it. He doesn't want to do it. So he didn't draw this um, Kelvin on the back window, this decal. And Watterson wanted to punish the copyright violators, but the costs of doing so proved uh, excessive. Now, the original perpetrators of this decal are unknown, but seeing that decal on the back of this luxurious Lincoln seemed incongruous to me as a bridesmaid holding a plunger instead of flowers would be. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is uh, well worth driving past. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Boy, I really appreciate you listening. Thanks for having nothing better to do. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company as always. Thank you, Al. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Thanks, Karen. Bye. Bye. Yep, bye-bye.